Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and I sure hope that wasn't your theme song for Thanksgiving dinner with the family. Um, Gracious, that is a good time for our mouths to get us in trouble sitting around the table. I hope you had a good one. We had a great Thanksgiving. My wife got back from uh, Guatemala. She was with the missions team there on Tuesday and on Wednesday our family headed to Chattanooga to have uh, Thanksgiving dinner with her family and we had a wonderful time but it's good to be home. Good to get back to normal. Robbie forgot to tell you that he spent the last week or eight days in Guatemala with our missions team and they had an uh, incredible trip. Just We are, we are hearing so many stories uh, of God just moving in powerful ways. The, the village they were in in Guatemala is called Ho Canal and it's about uh, oh, it, about a four-hour drive from the city is what the locals will tell you. It's really about nine hours of driving in traffic. And, and Ho Canal is a village that has been torn apart for so many years by many different things. Uh, the people there they, they are, are, are divided. And so what one of the families that we've partnered with in Guatemala has asked us to do with our short-term mission trips is small things that will bridge gaps that will allow them uh, to build relationships with each other and with that village over time. To teach people what it looks like to serve one another and really just to do life with one another. And God did just that over the last week in Hokanao. Uh, we're hearing stories of kids who, at the beginning of a vacation Bible school week, wouldn't even stand at the same table doing crafts with one another, but by the end of the week, we're playing soccer side by side in the field, just learning that just because you came from one family and they came from a different family doesn't mean you can't do life together. And so God is doing powerful things out there, and we look forward to hearing more updates from that in the near future. I'm sure they'll be putting something together to share with you uh, to celebrate what God has done. Huge thanks to Danielle Edwards, our missions director. Just did an incredible job planning that trip and putting it all together and leading that trip on the ground. And uh, Sarah Antonor, our kids director, put together the vacation Bible school that they led uh, out there. And it was next level, phenomenal. Uh, Four people had never been on a mission trip before and they all said the bar could not have been set higher for what a mission trip can be. And so, uh, man, I I can't wait to hear more and more about that trip. Maybe Robbie will share some with you next week during his time on stage like he was supposed to this morning. Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Well, uh, some exciting things are coming here at the Gathering Church. Uh, We only have, after today, we only have three more Sundays in this facility. Only three more Sundays at Rainbow Community School. Let's mourn that for a minute. Let's all say awe together. Only three more Sundays at Rainbow School. Ah, yeah, that was good. Me by myself. But, but, but let's now celebrate that in three weeks we will be at T.C. Robertson High School. Come on, somebody. Man, I'm excited about this and the move is coming and we're getting ready for it and there's going to be all kinds of exciting things 
happening over the next few weeks. Next week, we're going to finish up this series, My Big Fat Mouth. I'll be teaching on gossiping. And then after that, we're going to launch our Gather at Christmas series because guess what? Thanksgiving is over. It is officially Christmas. Thanks, thank goodness. I, what I'm thankful for is that we got that gateway holiday out of the way, and now we can have the real holiday season. I put about 10,000 lights up on my house last night, and it was majestic and beautiful. And an hour later, I went to let the dog out, and all the lights had gone out. And so today I'm going to be looking at every light bulb on the strand and finding the one bad one. So pray for me in that. I'm so glad that that Christmas is coming, but we're going to be starting our series Gather at Christmas. And what I want to talk about this year is is the things that we have to face in in gathering together at Christmas. I want to talk about uh, the challenges that, that the holiday season can bring us. I want to talk about the challenges inside of us that are stirred up during the holiday season. And so on the first week of the series, we'll be talking about financial responsibility during the holiday season. Uh, How many of us get ourselves into a financial mess during this time of year? And so I want to talk about that, how to avoid that and some biblical truth around that. And then the next week, I want to talk about reconciliation uh, around the holidays. I want to talk about Jesus's message of reconciliation and So many of us uh, have people that we're going to see or that we're choosing not to see over the holidays, and I want to talk about God's plan for those relationships in our lives. And then we're going to finish up that series on December 23rd. This will be our Christmas Eve service. We won't be having services that Monday. We'll be having our 9 and 11 a.m. services on December 23rd at T.C. Robertson, where we'll finish this series by talking about celebration and what it really means to celebrate and why we celebrate and what we're celebrating. And so that is going to be a great day, a great party. You do not want to miss it. Make sure that you are planning to be there at T.C. Robertson on December 23rd and tell everybody you know because it is going to be a great day to be a part of the Gathering Church. So a lot of good stuff is coming. There's a lot to look forward to. Uh, and uh, today we are in week three of our series, My Big Fat Mouth. Uh, we've talked about complaining in this series. We've talked about criticizing in this series. And this week, I want to talk about lying. I want to talk about lying. Sometimes my big fat mouth gets me in trouble for lying. Now, lying, for most of us, is one of those things that we learn to do very early on. My my daughter, Eleanor, is three and a half years old, and she is so sweet, and she is so kind, and she is so smart, but she is a liar. Yeah. You see, she's a passionate little girl. She feels every emotion to its fullest extent, including anger. And uh, we were on vacation a few weeks ago in the happiest place on earth, Walt Disney World, And she got angry and whacked her mother right on the leg. I was shocked. My sweet little girl had turned to violence to express her feelings. And so I get down on one knee and look her in the eyes and I said, Eleanor, did you just hit your mother? And I could see instant regret coming over her face. Or maybe it was fear of what might happen next. 
And she looked me right in my eyes and said, no, Daddy. I was giving her leg a high five. <laughs> True story. And she comes by it honestly. She's learned this, uh, excuse me. She's learned this. Mariel's laughing at me. She's learned this honestly. You see, on that same trip, uh, I was on a ride called Buzz Lightyear. The Buzz Lightyear ride, if you've never been to Disney World, is an arcade-style ride where you're in a little car and you have a little blaster and you shoot at targets and you get points. And so it's a competitive ride. Now, I had to hold my eight-month-old Dagny on this ride, and so I was handicapped. I only had one hand, you know, and, and, uh, and so it wasn't really a fair competition with most of the other folks riding except Sarah Antonor, who we were on this trip with the Antonors. They're our good friends, and Sarah's our kids director, and she had their, uh, their seven-month-old son, Noah, on her lap, so it was an even match. So we did this, and my score was really bad. It was low. I shot 43,000 points, which sounds extravagant, but it's a very low score. Now, we get off the ride, and Sarah looked at me and said, I got 69,800 points. What was your score? And I did not want to lose to Sarah. I just did not want to lose to Sarah. So I looked her right in her eyes, and I said, 69,900 points. I can feel you judging me right now. And I can feel your disappointment. And you're right. I just did not want to lose. She found out this morning that my score was not that. <laughs> Lying is so easy for us. It's something that most of us struggle with. <clears throat> Odds are in the last 24 hours, you've told a lie. And if you haven't, you're probably lying about that. According to a University of Massachusetts study, 60% of people cannot have a 10-minute conversation without telling a lie. Most lies are small. They seem inconsequential. We feel justified in them. But even small lies train our minds and our hearts to accept the truth as fluid rather than fixed. Like most sins, what begins as something small and seemingly innocent can spiral out of control very quickly. We lie for a lot of different reasons. We lie to impress others. When I met my wife, uh, I was 18 years old when I met my wife, and I told her that my nose is crooked. You may or may not have noticed my nose comes out of the chute and makes a hard right turn. And I told her that my nose was crooked because when I was in high school, I went to a party, and this guy was trying to take advantage of this girl, and I stood up to defend her honor, and he punched me in the face and broke my nose. Now, the truth is, I have never been to a high school party. Had not. Every Friday night when I was in high school, I ordered a large Papa John's pizza and rented a movie from Blockbuster, okay, by myself. That's very sad, but it's true. And, uh, and it had never been punched in the face before. But this was what I told her to impress her. I came clean about that the night that I proposed to her. I just felt so bad about it. I was like, I got to tell you something, though. My nose is crooked because it was born crooked. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Sorry about that. We lie for a lot of different reasons. We lie to avoid conflict. Like when they say, does this dress make me look fat? And you say, no, you're a liar. <laughs> Nobody laughed at that first service either. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> we lie to get away with things. Like when they say, did you buy that jacket with your spending money or did you use our credit card? And you say, well, I used my spending money. We lie to shift the blame. We lie because we want to be nice. We lie to cover up other lies. We lie to make 
others believe that we are someone we are not. We lie to make ourselves believe that we are someone we are not. For so many reasons, we lie. It's a regular part of our language. It comes out of our mouths before we're aware even that we're lying. And then our our reflex isn't to come clean from the lie, it's to sustain the lie with more lies. Proverbs 12, 22 tells us how our Father in Heaven feels about lying. It says, The Lord detests lying lips, but He delights in people who are trustworthy. The word detests comes from a Hebrew word, to'ebah, which means something disgusting, an abhorrence, an abomination, something that makes one nauseous. Yikes. So if lying makes God nauseous, why do we so easily dismiss it? Why are we so good at it? Why is it a huge part of our culture and our nature? Why do children learn it so quickly? I believe the answer is because right now we live in a broken world and there is one in this world whose only mission is to kill, steal, and destroy. John 8.44 says, For you are the children of your father the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, the devil is real. And he has a plan for your life. He wants to destroy you. He wants to end everything that is good in your life. He wants to break down your intimacy until there's nothing left. He wants to corrupt your soul. He wants to reduce the effectiveness of your purpose. And he wants to create distance between you and your Father in heaven. Lying is his chief strategy. In fact, it's his chief character trait. He is a liar and the father of lies. You may never sound more like the devil than when you lie. Now, I know that may feel a little bit harsh, a little bit extreme, but this is a truth we need to process. More often than not, we speak the language of our enemy. So I believe the enemy has a plan, and it looks like this. First, he wants to get you to lie. He just wants to get you to lie. See, I think the devil loves small lies, white lies, lies that feel harmless because something's happening when we get away with these little fibs, when we get away with these these little white lies. We're beginning to get used to it, numb to the idea that these small lies aren't hurting. And that's his strategy, just to get us to lie. So we exaggerate a story to impress our friends. Or we cheat on a test. Or we lie about where we are so someone won't worry or or get upset. Or we make something up about somebody just to get a reaction or cause a stir so that the attention would be off of us and on that person. We tell partial truths instead of whole truths because the whole truth might get us in trouble. But do you know what a partial truth is? It's a complete lie. We, we leave things out 
so that those details won't hurt the people we're talking to. But an omission of truth is a lie. We do all these little things that are ingrained in our culture that people around us tell us are okay, that we're encouraged in, but they're lies. Lying is addictive. You can go from casual to pathological before you know what happened. And that's the devil's plan. To use small lies to work into bigger ones. If he can get you to lie to cover up things that don't even really matter, then he can lead you to lie to cover up sin. And it just keeps going, and it just keeps getting worse until you get to the next part of his plan. And that is, he wants to get you to lie to yourself. To get you to lie to yourself. To begin to believe the lies. It all spirals out of control so quickly. You start rationalizing the lies. This isn't hurting anyone, but it's helping me. The truth would hurt them. The truth would hurt me. We rationalize and we lie more. And then we double down on the lies. And then you lie so often that you start believing your own lies. You fool yourself into thinking you are the victim. They are the reason you had to lie. They put you in a position where you had to lie. The way they always react is the reason that you had to lie. You're trying to keep the peace. They're the ones that are the problem. This lie is harmless. I could stop these lies at any time. And those lies lead to more lies. And those lies cover up other sins. And other sins lead to more lies. This is what happened to King David in the Old Testament. King David was was the king of Israel for a long time. Many of us are aware of this story. You see, later on in his life, he was doing what he shouldn't be doing. You see, the king's job was to lead the army into battle. But David sent the army into battle, and he stayed behind. And so, one night, he's up on top of his roof, which is the highest roof around, because it's the palace. And he's walking around on his roof at the time when all of the women would normally go out to bathe on their roofs. It was a convenient time to be out for a walk, David. And David notices on the roof next to him, A beautiful woman taking a bath. And he decides he wants her. So he sends his servant to go get her and he commits adultery with her that night. She becomes pregnant. Now, David has a choice to make. Does he come clean with his sin or does he lie so that nobody gets hurt? So he calls her husband Uriah home from the battle and he asks Uriah to go home hoping that Uriah will lie with his wife and he can cover up the whole thing. But Uriah, being a man of honor, won't even sleep in his own bed while his men are out at battle. He sleeps at the front of the gate in front of his house. Now David's got to lie again to cover up the first lie. And so he sends Uriah to the front of the battlefield hoping that Uriah will die and David can marry his wife. Uriah dies. David marries his wife. He begins to use more and more lies to cover it up. And now he's got to sustain them. This keeps building, keeps getting worse. The lies keep growing. And David begins to believe these lies. One day, Nathan, the prophet, comes to David. In 2 Samuel 12, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The one man, the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except for one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and grew up with him and his children. It shared his food. It drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. 
And now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who'd come to him. And David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. But then Nathan said to David, you are the man. David couldn't see it while he's listening to this story. All he could see was his anger towards this person. He had begun to believe his own lie enough that he could not see what he had done and the way that he had hurt others. Once we begin to believe our own lies, the enemy's next step in the process for us is to get us to live a lie. To live a lie. Now, maybe hopefully you're not here yet, but you would be surprised how quickly you can land there. How quickly your whole life is about being somebody that you're not. Like being the Christian guy at the office, the life group leader, the role model, but hiding a raging porn addiction from everyone around you. Or maybe you have this amazing life on Instagram, making everyone believe that your whole life is perfect, that you're happy, that you're, you, you're living your dream, and that everything falls into place for you. But in reality, you struggle with depression and discouragement, and you feel like everything's falling apart, but you just don't want anyone to know about it. Maybe you want the world to believe your marriage is perfect because that's what you think they should see. So you hold hands in public. You, you tell everybody everything's great. You show everybody that everything's fine. But the reality is you haven't even slept in the same bedroom together in months. It's easy to find yourself from one step to the next. It seems like it started so simple, so small. But then, next thing you know, you're living a lie. I think many people live this way or fall into this and they, because they believe that or they tell people that they're Christians, but they're not. This is a great fear that I have because this is the way that I used to live. I think this is culturally a way that many people live in the southeastern United States. See, the Bible says in 1 John 2.4, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. And here's the thing. Don't misunderstand me. You don't have to do anything to go to heaven except believe and accept the sacrifice of Jesus. But here's, here's the thing. If you believe in Jesus, if you really do believe in the wonder of the cross, it will lead you to become more and more like the one who hung on it. There's always evidence in your life when you begin to follow Jesus. This was me. I grew up in church, and for years I told everyone that I was a Christian, but there was no evidence of it in my life. With my lips, and I would tell people that I was a Christian, I would go to church. Even when I joined the Coast Guard and knew I didn't believe any of that anymore, for the first year that I was in the Coast Guard, I went to church faithfully every Sunday that I could because I just thought it was what I was supposed to do. I would go into that church, I would meet people, and I would tell them everything I thought they needed to hear in order to accept me. I would be who I was Monday through Saturday, but on Sunday I'd paint a different picture of myself in order to be accepted in that place, and I thought for some reason that would be enough and just in case to get me through the doors of heaven one day. I was living a lie. 
Every day that I got up and, and said this is who I was, I was trying to fool myself and the people around me. So why do we lie? What's the real cause? What's the reason that we do this? What motivates us? I mean, different things motivate us. Sometimes we lie to protect our feelings or the feelings of those around us. Sometimes we lie to cover up our tracks. Sometimes we, we, we think that we're lying to protect somebody from learning a truth they couldn't handle or to live a peaceful life. A lot of different reasons, but I think there's one root reason underneath all of it. See, I think the root reason that most of us lie is because we don't completely trust God. We think that all this goodness that, that, that we hear that He has for us, the, the freedom of the cross, we think the purpose that He has for us, all of it, we think all of that sounds great. But we're just afraid that if we let go of everything and start pursuing it, what happens if we don't see it? Then we don't completely trust Him, so we try to hold on to some of the control for ourselves. We begin to believe that our lie will protect us better than the truth would. Because the truth would get us in trouble. Or show people who we really are. But when the problem instead of trouble becomes that because of these lies we've been hiding, we start to feel anxiety and depression deep down inside. We're wondering why we're going to life group, but we're not feeling any freedom from it. Because we go to life group, but we continue to live the lie. We're wondering why, even though we go to church every Sunday, we're not experiencing the satisfaction and praise that we feel like we should be. But the reality is that we put a lie on every day before we get out of the car and walk into service. We don't completely trust God. We think lies will bring us security, but they're leading us by fear. We think lies will get us more but we have less of what really matters. We think lies will make people like us, but then our relationships are built on lies. Satan is the father of lies. When we lie, we speak his native tongue. But Jesus is the truth, and the truth will set us free. When you lie, it leaves you in bondage, but when you live in the truth, you get to live in freedom. So we get to make a choice. We can choose the language of this world, the language of our enemy, this language of lies, and continue to move forward in bondage. We think our lies allow us more freedom, but it's just fooling us into walking around carrying chains that make it difficult to move forward in life. What Jesus offers is freedom from that bondage. What Jesus offers is truth that would release you from these lies. What Jesus offers is a new way of speaking, a new way of living, a new way of believing that would release you of everything that you've carried from your past. Jesus is the truth. The devil's plan for your life is that you live in bondage to sin forever. God's plan for your life is for you to have freedom and a purpose, and to make a difference in that purpose. It's time to make the choice. So if you've been falling victim to the devil's plan and its lies, here's God's plan for you to find freedom from a lifestyle of lying. First, confess to God. Confess to God. Have you heard it said confession is good for the soul? It's true. Confession is like a light switch. 
We spend so much time in darkness trying to hide things. One moment of confession is like a flick of the light. Instant release of freedom. If you've been lying to yourself and everyone around you, odds are you've been avoiding God or avoiding the topic when you talk to Him. I I think for many of us, we have a hard time getting into a relationship of God that that it revolves around worship and prayer. And Many times it's these lies that are standing in the way between us and really connecting with God in prayer. I would encourage you, to begin every single day in worship and prayer and begin that prayer in confession. Open up with real worship. I always, I, I, when I come before God, I like to worship Him in, in, the, in the, just the most purest way that I can. I always try to make a playlist of the songs that aren't about me at all, but that are all about God. We sang one last week called Be Enthroned. Be Enthroned Upon the Praises of a Thousand Generations. You are worthy, Lord of all talks about joining in the song of heaven with, with everyone worshiping God. and I like to just get myself into a place of worship where I know who He is, where I've submitted to Him. And then I, when I move into prayer, I like to just start by asking Him to reveal everything I need to confess to Him that day. And He will. And that confession is good for our hearts, for our souls, and for the relationship we have with the one we confess to. Here's what happens when we say it out loud. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's what I think the enemy wants us to believe will happen when we confess our sins to God. I think, it, I think it's... Uh, sometimes when my daughter's done something wrong and I just want her to tell me the truth about it, I know that the reason that she's hiding from me the truth is for fear of the repercussion. It's for fear of the consequence. That if she admits out loud that she's done this thing that I'm asking about, that what will immediately follow will be consequence. I think that's our same fear with our God. We don't want to say it out loud to the Father because we're worried that what will come after is shame and guilt and judgment. But first, you have no secrets from your Father in heaven. He knows every single thing. He knows everything that's in your heart, everything that's hidden, everything that's in darkness. He can see it. And He chose the cross anyways. He chose grace for you anyways. He chose relationship with you anyways. When we come before Him with confession, He doesn't meet us with guilt or shame or disappointment. He doesn't say, how dare you do that? I'm so disappointed in you. It says that our Father meets us with faithfulness and just, and that he, He forgives us our sins and purifies us from our unrighteousness. Isn't that amazing? So simple. The gift of the cross is forgiveness of sins. Confess to God. And now here's the hard part. Once you've gotten into a habit where you've learned to confess to God, and you've learned not to keep things hidden, even, even to try to keep things hidden from Him, the second thing is confess to others. This one's a little bit harder, I think, because we can't hear out loud God's reaction. Confess to others. See, from experience, I can tell you that you will never, never feel more freedom at one time than the moment you expose a lie to the person you've been lying to. The bigger the lie, the bigger the release. This one is really hard because people will get hurt. But here's the reality. Your confession is not what is hurting them. 
It was your sin that hurt them. The sin that you've been hiding was already hurting them. Maybe it's an addiction of some kind that you've been hiding from your spouse. And when you confess it out loud to them, you think that just telling them is what's really bringing the pain to them. But the reality is, your sin had already been bringing pain in that relationship. Your intimacy was broken, and they didn't know why. The the way that you communicate wasn't working anymore, and they didn't know why. You put a name to the hurt they were already experiencing. It wasn't your confession that hurt. It was the sin. And moving forward, confession is the only way to find freedom and healing for all the parties involved. And your lies, if your lies don't affect just one specific person. So you think, well, who do I confess to? I would encourage you to confess to an accountability partner or a close brother and sister or sister in Christ. There's still healing in it. You need accountability. But in order to have accountability, there's got to be vulnerability and honesty. Listen, if you don't have an accountability partner that you're completely transparent with, your character is in trouble. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's not confess your sins to each other so so that it can be said out loud. It's not... It's not so you can judge each other. It's because there's healing in the confession. To say it out loud puts puts something that was in darkness for a long time right out in the light. The things that thrive in darkness die in the light. There's lies, these things that we've been hiding. When we sit down before a brother or a sister in Christ and declare what we've been doing, what we've been hiding, where we've been lying, those things can't survive anymore. We need accountability. Once you've learned how to bring what was in darkness into the light, you can find freedom. You can find freedom. You can live in freedom. You can be free of this lifestyle of lies. You don't have to to lie anymore. You don't have to work hard to sustain the lie anymore. You can find freedom. Jesus can free you from this bondage of lies. So confess it to God. Confess it to others. And do it often. And then through prayer and accountability, retrain your brain and your tongue to work differently. To pursue honesty and integrity. To obliterate the white lie from your vocabulary. And to obliterate the small half-truth. And to stop telling harmless lies. And to live in the truth. And the truth will set you free. Ephesians 4 21 through 24 says, When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with what the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To take it off like a pair of old clothes, this way that we used to talk, this way that we used to live, to leave it behind and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on a new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. for, For some of us, it's time to take off this lifestyle of lies like a pair of old clothes, to leave it behind and just let it crumple up on the floor, to drag it from darkness into light where it can't survive anymore, to confess it, to say this is the lie, here is the truth, and to let a new self emerge, to learn a new way to speak, 
A new way to honor people. A new way to be in relationship with people. A new way to earn people's trust. Instead of relying on a lie that we had built up to gain people's favor, let's rely on integrity and character to gain people's favor. What, what if we were just a people that were built up with integrity instead of this world around us where people are constantly building themselves up with lies? How would we be different? What would it look like if we could learn this new skill? Put on your new self. <clears throat> when Rael and I we're in a difficult season of transition. I was cracking under the pressure. I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I didn't know what I was getting into with everything that was changing in our life. And I didn't have an outlet. I didn't have a, a way to handle this pressure. I'd never faced anything like it before. And, and so I began to just try to put everything together in our house. We were moving and, and I, I decided to make the improvements we needed to make on this house and, and to spend the money that we needed to spend to get the house the way that would make, I thought would make Rael happy. And I did all this by spending money that I wasn't telling her about. Thought it would help her. Told myself it would make her happy. Told myself it was what she wanted. Told myself that if I told her about all this money we were spending, all it would do is stress her out and she didn't need that with all the transition. But the reality is it just felt good to have control over something. And I built up this big lie in my mind and it got to a point, like every lie does, where it was at a cracking place. I couldn't hide it anymore. I went to bed every night just feeling the weight of the pressure of this bad financial decisions weighing on me. And so she started asking a lot of questions and I just let it out, confessed, put it out in front of her. I was so embarrassed, so broken, I, I was so ashamed. And it was hard. I, my sin had hurt her. She had, to, she had to learn how to trust me again. And we went to counseling, which is okay to do when you're processing hurt and the brokenness of trust. And through counseling and through new, new, new ways to handle pressure, I learned that I can't handle pressure on my own. I put a system of people around me. I gained an accountability partner. I still have an accountability partner who I send a bank statement to twice a month so that he can see it and say, okay, you're keeping everything above board. This is good. I have people that I talk to when I'm feeling a lot of pressure that I share with, things that, are, that, I, that I don't like to share, that are hard to share because I never want to get to a place like that again. And my wife and I, we just don't keep those kinds of secrets from one another. I don't keep them from her. I've learned by making the wrong choices that it is better when you make the right ones. Seems like it would be obvious. It's not so obvious. I would encourage you to learn that lesson with me. God's plan for us is that we would tell the truth. Just that we would tell the truth. That we would learn a new language. Where You have choices every day to either tell the truth or a lie. Every single day you have this choice. Maybe every 10 minutes in a conversation. Choose the truth over the lie. One choice at a time. You may get it right one out of 10 times a day. Just start getting it right. A little bit at a time. Learn to tell the truth instead of the lie. Replace the lie with the truth. One decision, one small decision can change the course of your life. Choose to tell the truth over the lie. Then begin to live the truth. This feels obvious. Don't do things that you have to spend your life hiding. And you will learn what freedom feels like. 
Make choices that you don't have to hide and you will find freedom. And then be the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Very similarly, if you want to find freedom and live in the truth, you need to go through Jesus. Come to him every single day. Lay it down before him. Ask him to show the lies in your life, to expose it. Let's go through Jesus to become more like Jesus, to experience this life the way that it was made to be experienced. And then let's be him to others. Paul says it like this. It's not that. I changed it. Sorry. First, Ephesians 1, 17 through 19 says, I do more than thank I ask. I ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally and your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do and grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Let's find freedom in Jesus. Let's trust in him. Let's live this life the way he's created us to live it. Let's live this life the way he's made us to live it. Oh, oh, the utter extravagance of the life he's called us to. Let's get to know it by making one choice at a time to choose truth over lies. Let's build up integrity in our lives. Let's be known for our honesty. And as a people, let's speak the way that Jesus speaks with truth, with life. Instead of complaining, let's give encouragement. Instead of criticizing, let's give honor. Instead of lying, let's give truth. And little by little, we will start to look more and more like Jesus and our community will change. We can do it together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing in us and through us for the way that you're changing us, God, for the way that you're shifting us, Lord. God, I just ask that you would just reveal every lie inside of us, every sin that we're hiding, God. Lord, bring it to light. Bring it to light, Father, that we might find freedom from it. God, help us to see everything we need to confess to you and confess to others. God, that we might begin to live in truth and walk in truth and find freedom in truth. Lord, I pray freedom over every person in this room today. That for the person in bondage, deep, deep in bondage and in pain, that God, you would deliver them to freedom. That you would just press in on their hearts right now that today can be the day the chains fall. That today can be the day they find out that there is more to this life than they ever dreamed of. That they were made for more than they ever dreamed of. And the truth isn't built on a lie. The truth... the, the, the the peace and the goodness and the satisfaction that you have for us in this life can never be built on lies, but it is built on truth. It is built on your grace, on your goodness, and in your purpose. We love you so much, God. We worship you. Be glorified in our lives as we just try to become more and more like you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.